3: Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David.
6: The year is 1992, and actor Edward James Olmos is on his way to becoming a Hollywood icon. Coming off an Oscar nomination for his iconic role in Stand and Deliver, Edward James Olmos earned the biggest opportunity yet for a Latino filmmaker to direct and star in a major Hollywood release. And he chose a controversial subject for his directorial debut, the Mexican Mafia, a notorious prison and street gang that at the time was at the height of its powers. It was a bold move, and it didn't end well. That film was called American Me. The critics liked the movie, but the Mexican mafia did not. Just weeks after the premiere, several people who worked on the movie were murdered. Almost never addressed the killings. He still hasn't. Maybe it's because allegedly he himself was threatened and extorted. In fact, while I've been researching and interviewing people related to this film that came out 30 years ago, over and over again, I get eerily similar responses like, I won't talk about that, or flat out told, leave this alone. More Than a Movie, American Me is a podcast that digs into the history and mystery of American Me a film directed by and starring Edward James Olmos that had a huge impact on Latino culture and cinema. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and I'll be diving into the controversy behind the movie. The early 1990s was an explosion of pop culture in L.A. about
7: L.A. Blood
1: in, blood out.
7: So the 90s was just the like hangover from, you know, the the Cold War. I don't know. There's a lot of 90s, 90s nostalgia now. But I remember being afraid every day, like Y2K, HIV, uh, the, the gangs, the police. Like it feels very similar to like these past few years of COVID in terms of like just the angst and fear that. You can just feel from the community.
6: That's Eric Galindo, a Mexican-American writer and producer that grew up right here in Los Angeles. Eric is right. L.A. in the 90s was scary to a lot of Angelenos. But the fear level went to new heights when the LAPD brutally beat a man named Rodney King. In 1992, another movie came out from a script that had been kicking around for years. It was a movie about Latino gangs in L.A. Al Pacino was allegedly slated to play the lead role. We all know Al loves to play Latinos. But in the blowback to Scarface, the studio got cold feet. Like a lot of movies in Hollywood, it got put on the shelf until a Latino actor emerged as a potential movie star. Edward James Olmos, fresh off a nomination for an Academy Award, was offered the role. In response, Olmos told the studio he would take the part if he could also direct. After some back and forth and some assurances that a more experienced Reed White, director would be around to help Eddie, they agreed. But Olmos had something different in mind for the script. He wanted it to feel real, to be connected to his roots as a Chicano in East LA, and to address what he felt was tearing his community apart, gang violence. But to do that, he did something that many people thought was brave, but others thought was reckless. The Aryan Brotherhood and the black guerrilla family shared the yard.
1: But Folsom belonged to us, the oldest Clique, La M, the Mexican
6: Mafia. He made the movie about a real gang, one of the most intimidating and dangerous prison and street gangs of all time, the Mexican Mafia, a.k.a. La M. A gang that survives today and was no less powerful 30 years ago when Edward James almost decided to base the movie on what he claimed was a true story about them. Then, people started dying. The movie was called American Me. Here's one of the actors, Danny De La Paz, when he found out someone who'd worked on the movie had just been killed.
8: We were in France, um, along the Riviera, at the Cannes Film Festival with American Me when uh, we heard the news of Ana's assassination, basically. And uh, I remember feeling a little bit scared. I was in a foreign country. I was far from home. And I was like, wow, what am I going to be going back home to?
6: The Ana he's referring to is Ana Lizarraga, who was a gang interventionist hired by the movie as a gang liaison. And on May 13, 1992, she was gunned down in her East L.A. driveway while unloading groceries. So yeah, it made sense that Danny de la Paz was scared back then. Today, 30 years later, it's hard to get people to talk about it. Here's another American me actor, Sal Lopez. My job was to do my part and
9: I, I didn't feel, uh, you know, I- intimidated or, or, or anything like that. I, I mean, I was focused on doing the work and
6: making a good film. I, I you know, I, I, I don't want to speak about it. This is a movie people still don't want to talk about. Some of them are scared of the consequences to themselves. Some of them want to protect the movie's director, Edward James Olmos. Some of them don't see why we want to dredge up the past. I wanted to make this podcast because as a filmmaker, American Me was an unprecedented opportunity for Latinos in Hollywood, a Latino director, cast and crew. But I also think it's worth asking two questions. One, why were people killed for making a movie? And two, why did Edward James almost make this movie when people warned him again and again it was dangerous? We'll dig into the history and mysteries around one film that had a huge impact on the culture. We're talking about American Me. Think of this podcast like an audio documentary. The first half of this 12-episode series is gonna be about the Hollywood rumors and word on the street that have surrounded this movie for 30 years. In the second half of the episodes, though, we're going to do our best to get down to the truth. Let's start with the rumors. Even today, people are still afraid to talk about this movie. We had people cancel interviews or refuse to talk on the record. I spent hours in person over coffee or on the phone talking to high-level people who had worked on this film, who at the end of our really candid conversation would say to me they would never talk on the record. We had people call us from blocked numbers so we wouldn't know who was calling. One lawyer agreed to talk to us, then her husband told her not to. He was still afraid for their safety three decades later. I've pieced together the parts of the story I can. It all started with a chapter in a memoir by Danny Trejo, better known as Machete or a million other roles as the scariest looking motherfucker you've ever seen. Here's Trejo talking about it to Vlad TV. The person in charge of that movie made a lot of mistakes. American Me? Yeah.
9: Edward James Olmos? Yeah. Okay. A lot of mistakes. Do, do you know He'll him? He'll admit it. What, do you know him?
6: Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, okay. Uh, I, I saved his life, really. And he won't admit that either. See, Trejo, who's not in the movie, is a pivotal figure in this story. According to him, this is how it went. Edward James Olmos never got permission from the Mexican mafia to tell this story. Before it even went into production, Key members of the gang had read the script and warned Trejo not to work on the movie. During production, Trejo says he was asked to be a consultant but refused to do it out of respect for the gang. When the movie finally premiered, the Mexican Mafia was enraged. Almost had fabricated important details about their lives. Here's Trejo again. You just got to be real careful about telling the truth, okay? The leader of the Mexican Mafia was never raped. Yeah. All right? So that's number one. You can hear in his voice, this still makes Danny Trejo mad. Portraying the rape of the gang's leader, which never happened and could never happen to someone elevated to the leader of the Mexican mafia, got people killed. Now let's say this right away. Getting raped doesn't make you weak. Getting assaulted isn't anyone's fault. But according to federal indictments and according to Trejo, for the Mexican mafia, it's one of four reasons to turn people away from the gang. See, the movie tends to make its point using rape. I don't know how else to say it. When Santana is a kid, he's raped in juvie. When his mom gets pregnant, she's raped by a sailor. When Santana gets out of prison, he starts to rape his girlfriend. The gang uses rape as a punishment in prison. So of course it enraged the Mexican mafia. And that's what Trejo said numerous times during the promotional campaign for his book. He talked to GQ, Vlad TV, Stevo, pretty much everybody, except us, of course. Danny didn't want to talk about American Me anymore. I can't say why for certain. Maybe it's because the book has been out already for more than a year and he's done promoting it. Or maybe it's because, according to one source, he and almost had a difficult phone conversation after the book's release. But even without Danny Trejo's account, rumors have flown about for years. One of them is undoubtedly true. At least three people were killed after this movie came out, and court records say it was partly because of their involvement. But there's other murkier allegations. The big one is that Edward James almost had a price on his head. The rumor is almost had to pay the Mexican mafia some amount of money to stay alive. Some people told us it was $100,000. One person told us it was a million. But no one with firsthand knowledge has confirmed this, and rumors are just that. Rumors. There's another allegation. This one from Danny Trejo. At least four people in prison were killed because of their participation in this movie. Trejo says in total, 8 or as many as 10 people were killed in connection with the film. Without their names, though, we can't say whether it's true or not. And when it comes to people's lives, there's a big difference between 8 and 10. Some of the stuff Trejo said we were able to verify. Some of it is directly contradicted in our interviews, and some of it we can't say either way. What I'm saying is, take his account with a big grain of salt. And Danny, if you ever want to talk, our lines are open. We'll get into it after the break.
8: As an actor, a producer, and a proud Latino father, my days can get very busy, which is why I make sure to dedicate time to what's important, like supporting my community through my work, sharing my Colombian and Venezuelan culture, and being present for my family, which is everything to me. Hey, everyone. It's Wilmer Valderrama. Listen to new episodes of your favorite Michael Cultura shows wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff in my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's
5: just a shame, you know, that they took him from us.
1: Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
9: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics,
6: Welcome back to More Than a Movie. I'm Alex Fumero, and I'm here to take you through the myths and legends surrounding American Me. The story of American Me is the story of Montoya Santana, almost based a character on the real life founder of the Mexican mafia, Rodolfo Cadena. But let's try to separate fact from fiction a little bit here. The movie puts a young Santana in juvie where he starts a gang. That also happened to the real life guy. Santana grows up as the best friend of a white guy with a prosthetic leg in a Latino gang. That's also based on real life. And Santana gets stabbed to death and thrown off a railing in prison. That's what happened to Cadena. From reporting, Trejo's book, court records, and the stuff we learned in interviews and on background, it seems like the Mexican mafia took exception with their portrayal in this movie. Remember that white guy with the fake leg? His name is Joe Morgan, and he filed a lawsuit in 1993 against Edward James Olmos and the studio Universal. He said the movie, quote, invaded his right to privacy by appropriating his likeness and life story, end quote. What that means is the movie stole his life story, lied about him in that life story, then profited. Here's his lawyer, Milton
10: Grimes there was some dispute as to some of the uh, things they portrayed Mr. Morgan in. Mm -hmm. And there was um, some uh, disagreement with uh, people that were knowledgeable or involved in the uh, Mexican Association, and uh, they disagreed with some of the portrayals in there of Mr. Morgan. And... um, some disputes and disagreements came out of that. And um, that's what happened. Joe's nickname was Peg Leg, for obvious
6: reasons. He claimed in the lawsuit that his character committed several murders that the real-life Joe Morgan was never charged with. He said his kids and his grandkids would see the movie and think it was all true.
10: Rather than being a, a terror or a uh, oh, A monster that would attack, and I was supposed to shiver in front of. I remember him being a mild-mannered, grandfatherly type, to be honest with you. The monster was not there. Uh And I have to admit that I had some concerns with meeting the infamous Joe Morgan.
6: Only exhibit that Morgan's legal team entered into evidence was a VHS copy of American Me. But most of the people offended by this movie didn't take their problems to court. The three murders we could directly connect to the movie were of two gang members and a gang interventionist hired by the movie as a gang liaison. Her name was Ana Lizarraga. Lizarraga was already marked for death before this movie, according to federal court filings. At a 1990 gang meeting recorded by the police, a Mexican mafia member said that Lizarraga was interfering with drug trafficking on their turf. But it wasn't until she participated in American Me that she was shot 13 times in her driveway. One of the shooters was initiated into the Mexican mafia because of the murder. In line with almost his commitment to making this movie true to life, the production used people from the neighborhood as extras. Some of those extras were in rival gangs, and that caused some problems. We'll talk to the casting director and the location manager who had to deal with all that. One person we won't talk to, and I want to be upfront about this, is Edward James Almost Through a mutual friend, he told us he, quote, can't talk about American me. Can't. Let that settle in. When American Me went into production, Edward James almost was on a roll. Blade Runner, Miami Vice, and of course, Stand and Deliver, which got him an Oscar nom, and probably more importantly to him, positioned him as a role model for the community. I wouldn't do that if I was you. I lose a finger, I won't be able to count to ten. Like many actors at the height of his fame, almost wanted to direct. And he picked this script, a script about a gang. That's not totally unexpected after the success Italian-American filmmakers had seen with The Godfather and Goodfellas. Who didn't watch those two movies and wish they were part of the mob? I certainly did. When Andy Garcia became The Godfather, I felt like I'd been made. But American Me was supposed to be about how the gangster life is a total fantasy, a nightmare, really. In that way, the story of American Me is a success. But the story of American Me is also a failure. Because the movie that was intended to prevent gang violence instead caused more of it. Here's actor Jacob Vargas. Do you see any irony in uh, the, a film that was intended to stop gang violence? That may, maybe it actually recruited more people to um,
3: it. I mean, I, I guess there is some irony in that. Uh, but, uh, but I feel like I'm sure it, it probably stopped... Uh, a few kids, you know, like, I'm sure a lot of people will see that and say, hey, I don't want any part of that as well. It's like with certain movies, you know, it can, it can be singled out that American Me is the only one. Like, you look at, like, you know, The Goodfellas and all these other films that are, that are cautionary tales about the mafia, mm. you know, and, in a way tend to glorify it, you know? And they just because, you know, these actors did a really good job and all these characters were were cool and, and uh, you know, Santana was like a cool dude and, you know he was in charge and and uh, you know it held a lot of power, so I just think that there's an, an attraction to you know, to that, and some people will look at that above above what the real meaning of of, uh, of you know of the, of the film is that it's a vicious cycle.
6: American Me was successful in most of the ways a movie is supposed to succeed. Roger
3: Ebert gave it three and a half stars. It premiered at
6: Cannes. It didn't make a lot of money, but it wasn't a massive financial failure either. And it went on to become a fan favorite. But still, the controversy surrounding it has always overshadowed the success. This was a majority Chicano production, filmed in East L.A. If it had gone right, it could have been The Next Goodfellas or Boys in the Hood, a movie that launched careers. There could have been tons of mid-90s imitation movies, like how Stand and Deliver gave us Dangerous Minds and, my favorite, 187. But most of all, Edward James almost could have become our Robert De Niro and our Martin Scorsese. Don't get me wrong, he's a huge success. He has a career anyone would be proud of, but that what if bothers me. Especially when Latinos make up one in five Americans, but only one in 20 actors on screen. I wonder if it bothers him too.
8: Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it
4: flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love
9: sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick
0: start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily to die
2: for is available now listen for free on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
6: welcome back to more than a movie american me i'm alex fumero About a month after American Me premiered, an uprising broke out across L.A. Stores burned. People were scared. It was the result of racial tensions and police brutality in the powder keg that was Los Angeles in the early 1990s. People complain today about how crime is on the rise, but that's only true if you look at the last two years. Today, about 1 in 20,000 people is killed each year in L.A. In the early 90s, it was 1 in 5,000 people, four times higher. Joe Biden, who was a senator back then, called 1992 the most violent period in American history.
10: We're in the
1: worst period of violent crime in the entire history of this great country. 90,000 Americans will have been murdered in the first term of this administration. 90,000 Americans murdered by the end of this year. Murder is the number one cause of death in America, Mr. President, and among the entire American population of 15 to 24-year-olds, it's the second leading
7: cause of death.
6: Writer Eric Galindo was in elementary school when he saw smoke from the fires caused by the so-called L.A. riots.
7: I remember one day, like, the teachers were just like, um, they they took us all out to, like, the field, you know? And we could see they were burning... uh, somerset which was compton boulevard at the time and our school was like i don't know it was definitely walking distance from like the the the, the little liquor stores that were getting burnt down the street and you could see the fire we're waiting for our parents what was happening but as soon as we started seeing the smoke get really close to us they just had us run and i remember running And being so afraid because, you know, by this time, the the riots had been going on for a minute and I had heard stories of the police shooting people who were just running, you know. And I remember running and being afraid that I was going to get shot by a cop thinking I had stolen some shit, you know. And like I had my little brother who's only two years younger than me. And I was just like running home and then like getting home and locking doors and just not not knowing like what. It's, it's it's weird because it was like, you're afraid of the, there's chaos, you know.
6: And here's Milton Grimes again, who was also Rodney King's attorney.
10: But that verdict in Simi Valley, man, um, felt like a mule had kicked me in my stomach. Mm. You know, like in, back in the country, we always would warn, don't go behind that horse boy, don't go behind that mule, it'll kick it, kill you. And it felt like I had been kicked in the stomach. You know, it was painful. So I understand the young people involved. I've represented Henry Watson, and I've represented uh, Damian Williams, football. Mm -hmm. After that, on other matters, okay? And talked to them about what happened with Reginald Denny, and they said, no, he didn't do nothing. That white man didn't do nothing wrong to us. It was just our anger. That's all it was, anger at whites. We did get lucky in one respect. All the time
6: they were filming the movie, there was a documentary crew following the production. What they made was a doc called Lives in Hazard, and it's great because you get to hear from the real-life gang members at the time this movie was made.
8: You struggle here, and, and, and you gotta find a way of making money, and, you know, my, you know, robbing got old, and stealing got old, and drugs seem to be easier to make money. And my easiest way was, at the time, was pushing PCP. I was liking it, and I was living the fast lane till I hit the wrong car, and Sold to the wrong person, and
10: that's what started my career in institutions. I heard like shots, so when I heard the car behind me, I knew it was a drive-by. I turned this way when I turned this way, that's when, when he shot me in the back.
6: We talked to the filmmakers of that documentary too. This is one of the directors, Andrew Young. These are people who are neglected. You know, they're not paid attention to,
4: and uh, in fact, that's that can be cited as part of the problem. Um, they look for their own system of self, you know, generating self-respect because they're not getting it from society.
6: American Me was a major studio film released in theaters across the country, but it lost money. It only played in about 800 theaters and made $13 million. My Cousin Vinny, which was released the exact same day, made $52 million, but in almost twice as many theaters. At first, I thought, that's some racist Hollywood bullshit. They didn't promote it or didn't put it in enough theaters. But then we heard in our interviews that this movie didn't play well with older Chicano audiences at the time. Today, American Me is a cult classic to young Latinos. But back then, it seemed to confuse or piss off their parents. They saw it as a film that made their culture look violent. But to me, it reflected some of the real problems our culture still has to this day. We're gonna talk in this podcast about issues like machismo and homophobia and violence, how this movie both pushed back against it but also reinforced it. We'll break down the decisions made by the cast and the crew, both on set and in pre-production. We'll meet some of the people behind the scenes and in front of the camera and try to tell the stories of the people who were caught in the crossfire. I'm a documentary filmmaker and a Latino who has been working in the entertainment industry for 20 years. If there's one thing I know, it's the way Latinos are portrayed and treated in Hollywood. And that's why when I heard the story of American Me, I knew it was about more than just the movie or the rumors or even the fallout. What happened to American Me is about who we are as a people and what could have been. This is More Than a Movie, American Me. More Than a Movie, American Me is a production of Exile Content Studios and Trojan Horse in partnership with iHeart's My Podcast Network. The show is produced by me, Alex Fumero, at Angry Yuca on the internet, And our senior producer is Nigel Duara. Rose Reed and Kareem Tapsh are the executive producers. Production assistance from Sabine Jansen, Ana Octavio, and Stella Emmett. Mixing and sound design by Eduardo Albornoz. Our executive producers at iHeart are Giselle Bances and Arlene Santana. For more podcasts, listen to the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.